Okay, uh, tonight I will be reading from John, the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 11. A woman caught in adultery. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but the next, early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding for an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I go and sin no more. God's reading for his word. Thank you. So reading those verses, I kind of find it hypocritical of them. Last I knew, adultery took two. They only brought the woman down. It's kind of how the world is now, though. That's how Christians seem to be. At least that's the impression we give people. We're hypocrites. But they only brought her. Was her, her sin worse than the man that she was with? I don't know. Were they covering for him? I don't think it really matters. I think the whole point of that is that Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He didn't come to berate us. He didn't come to belittle us. He really came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from our sin. So what really mattered was how Jesus reacted. He didn't judge her. He didn't call her out in front of everybody. And he didn't call them out the way we would. But he did call them out. He didn't judge her for her sins. Let that soak in for a minute. How many times have we sinned or seen our neighbor sin or our friend sin and we judge their sin? Jesus didn't do that. He didn't judge her for her sin. He just asked the, everybody, okay, so you want to stone her? I'm going to write in the sand. And he wrote in the sand. doesn't matter again what he wrote. But then he asked, okay, whoever is the first among you that has not sinned, throw the stone. And they left one by one by one. 
But they were so busy judging her, labeling her, and condemning her for her sin that they didn't even think about the fact that they sinned. How often do we do that? We justify or water down our sins and our sinful behaviors by saying, but look at them, their sin is so much worse. I only left work early because there was a game I wanted to catch on TV or I called in sick to go out with a friend or, and I've been guilty of this, I told my kids to answer the phone and say, mom's not here right now. I made my kids lie. But it was just a little sin, right? I justified it because when I was watching TV, I went, wow, can you believe that? How terrible is that politician? He just lied on national TV. His sin is so much greater than my little white lie. Or maybe the person that was stealing a gallon of milk from Walmart that's blasted all over TV or all over Facebook or all over Twitter. I almost called it was something else. But we judge others for the same things we do. Sin. We beat them up. We condemn them. Jesus didn't do that. Somehow, though, we feel we can negate, forget, or erase or water down our own sins by elevating the impact and severity of the sins of others. Beloved, let me tell you that the impact of their sin may have felt greater to you, but we still sinned. We are still sinners. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. That's pretty big. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. This part really hurts. The, neck, the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own. How can you say to your brother, let me take a speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's kind of what we do, though. I know we don't want to, but we do. And that's part of the reason as Christians... Followers of Christ, we get called hypocrites. If we want to point out the speck in someone else's eye, we must first remove the plank from our own eye. Jesus died so that all our sins are forgiven. Even the guys out there, everyone in here, your sins are forgiven. He didn't die just for the little sins. He died for them all. So what right do we have to judge the weight of the sin of others? If the forgiveness of Jesus is so readily available to all who seek him and repent, what authority do we have to hold back our forgiveness of the sins of others and not offer our unconditional love as Jesus did? Jesus is the only one that has that authority. 
And if we still choose to judge the actions of others, we too will be judged the same way. That stings. If I look at the guy over there and say, I just saw him pocket that. He's going to walk out of the store. He's going to steal it. Wow, what a bad guy he is. Jesus is going to judge me the same way. I think I need to rethink how I'm thinking. You've heard us talk about, have sermons before on forgiveness. But today we're not just talking about forgiving others. We're going to dive into the forgiveness of Jesus that was made available to everyone who repents and seeks him. And with his forgiveness comes love. A few years ago, a family member of Tom's and became mine. Uncle Joe was sick. Years of homosexuality. He was dying from liver and kidney failure. Probably brought on by AIDS, but nobody ever checked. Nobody knew for sure. But it didn't matter. At that time, he had not accepted Christ. One of the family members said to anyone in the family or outside of the family that would listen that they would just wish Joe would just shrivel up and die painfully. She hated him. Good riddance was what she would say. Now, yes, Joe had been into pornography, into homosexuality. He was probably not a really good person. He hadn't endeared himself to much of the family, but he was still a human being in need of Jesus. Joe was family. So after a little discussion on how to best care for Joe, because the hospital was sending him home to die, Tom and I decided that I would be the one blessed to be able to sit with him and hold his hand, let him know he was loved, and sing to him. I made sure to tell him how much we loved him and how much we valued him, that he had value to us, that he was family and that we loved him. Some of the family members didn't come visit. Some did, but they couldn't watch Joe slowly dying. It was painful for them. Some wanted to come by and spit at him. I wouldn't let him in the house. So we got into a big argument there. In fact, she still won't talk to me, but that's her issue, not mine. He was dying a slow death. So we had asked, we'd prayed with him and prayed for him. And we had asked if we could have one of our former pastors come by and pray with him. So Pastor Mike came over. Mike didn't see the horrible person that everybody was saying Joe was. Mike saw a man that needed Jesus. Mike prayed with him. Uncle Joe accepted Christ. I'm grateful, so grateful, that I know that Joe was saved. His sins were wiped clean. There was no condemnation anymore. There was just love. A few days later, Joe passed away. But we knew we have peace of mind 
that Joe was forgiven. Joe got to sit with Jesus. The family member that had the issue still has the issue. And we pray for her. But Jesus came and rescued Joe. So when we talk about forgiveness, we have to, we must, must include acceptance. Not acceptance of the sin. I wasn't accepting of Joe's pornography and his homosexuality and the things that came along with it. But I was accepting of Joe. Most importantly, Jesus was accepting of Joe. So we can't accept the sin, and that's okay, but we can accept the person. John 15, 12 tells us, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus didn't condemn the adulterous woman and belittle her for her sins. No, he asked his accusers, her accusers, who amongst them had never sinned. He wasn't letting her off the hook. He's telling her, you've sinned, but now go back into the world, leave your life of sin, become a new person, become a new creation, because you have met the Savior of the world. What great news that is. But if we think about it, Jesus didn't come to condemn her. We can't either, unless we think we're better than Jesus. I, for one, no, I'm not. I don't think anybody in this room (laughs) thinks they're better than Jesus. So we don't have the right to condemn her. We don't have the right to condemn anybody. So how do we learn to be more Christ-like? How do we learn to love like Jesus? By accepting others just as they are, just as Jesus has accepted every one of us, just as we are. I didn't have to clean up and change my ways before I learned about Jesus. I didn't have to change anything to accept him. After I accepted him, I wanted to change. I wanted to be different. But I didn't have to clean up to accept him. So we have to learn to love like Jesus, not condemn, not berate, not belittle, which means we have to learn to accept people for right where they are. We don't have to like or condone or join in the sins of others, but we must stop labeling them because when we label, we're judging. Ah, did you see the hooker walking down the street? You just judged her. Or did you see the the guy, the pimp? Those are labels, but they're judgments. We don't label unless we're judging. Romans 2, 3 says, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? I don't want to be labeled by my past sins, do you? We are not called to be the judge, jury, and executioner for the sins of others. We cannot change another person. We are not the Holy Spirit. Only he can change people. We can be an example of what Jesus has done in our own life. I'm sure you've all heard Kristen Jay and myself speak from the pulpit about our past, 
our shortcomings, our sins, and our failures. Not because we're saying, oh, look how great we are now. It's because we're saying we fail. We're sinners, and we need God too. And we need God to bring us from here to here. (coughs) Excuse me. Only Jesus has the ability to wash us clean. Only Jesus has the ability to change our hearts. Only Jesus has the ability to change our lives. Romans 6, 6 tells us, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. In spite of our sinful human nature, we have been crucified with Christ so that sin loses its power over us. Does that mean we're not going to sin anymore? We're going to still fall short. But our perspective and our desire to sin no more will change. Before Christ came into our lives, sin didn't matter so much. It was good to do the right thing, but it didn't drive us. Now Jesus drives us to do and say the right things. Because of that change, We want to strive to be more like Jesus, especially with those that don't have a personal relationship with Christ. We need to start looking at people for who they can become, not who they are, not where they are, and not the label we place on who they are today. A couple years ago, we were out visiting our daughter and our grandson, He was always a quiet, shy kid. He lived with us for a few years. He and I had a really special bond. We used to talk about everything. We talked about his dad, who was in jail again, his relationship with his mom, which was kind of off and on, his siblings, school, and some concerns he had. He and I were sitting alone on the curb outside the hotel in the parking lot talking. Grandpa and mom were out walking elsewhere. He said, Grandma, can we talk? I said, sure. It's what we're doing, aren't we? He says, yeah. And then he just got really quiet and kind of withdrawn. I said, you know what, sweetie, it doesn't matter what you say to me. You are my grandson, and I love you unconditionally. You will always be my grandson. Nothing else matters. He said, yeah, okay. But Grandma, you don't know. I said, oh, but honey, I do know. And I love you, no matter what. He said, Grandma, you know I'm gay? I said, does that change who you are? Does that change how I feel about you? Does that change how God sees you? Now, when he lived in our house, he went to church with us all the time. He knew Jesus. He knows Jesus. But he's confused. He was scared to tell me. 
He said, but Grandma, you're becoming a pastor. You're not going to be able to see me. You're not going to be able to love me anymore. I said, honey, if that's what becoming a pastor means, then I'm quitting. Because I'm still going to love you. You will always, always be my grandson. And I will always love you. Just like Grandpa and Aunt Tika. We will always love you. He said, but I thought if you were going to be a pastor and that being gay is a sin, you'd have to write me off. I said, no, Jesus won't won't write you off. Jesus is still going to come search for you. He's still going to come get you. I said, you just got to get yourself ready for him. He said, what do I have to do? I said, just be you. Jesus will do the rest, and so will your family and friends. So he put his head on my shoulder and started crying quietly, and I put my arms around him, and I started quiet, crying. And then Grandpa and Mom came up. Mom said, are you okay? And he says, you were right, Mom. Grandma still loves me. Grandma said she'll always love me. So will Grandpa. It was a hard day for Tom and I. But not because he told us he was gay. But because he thought as Christians we wouldn't love him anymore. That's what broke our hearts. I don't like the fact that He says he's gay. I think he's confused. He hasn't done anything about it. He hasn't acted upon it. But I pray for him. I know Tom prays for him. But it still doesn't stop us from loving him. Now, some of his friends that were Christians have walked away from him because of the label that they gave him. Oh, he's gay. You can't talk to him anymore. That's not how Jesus behaves. That's not how Jesus would act. And that's not how Jesus wants us to act. Jesus set the example for us. He taught us how to love and accept people for where they are right now. He taught us to act with compassion and love. That's where Jesus met us. Some of us were not in really great places in our lives when we met Jesus. Some of us had met Jesus, walked away, but he got us back. Some of us just had kind of even kill lives, ups and downs. And but Jesus met, met each one of us exactly where we were. Jesus loved us in spite of our sin. If we want to be followers of Christ and display the love of Christ, we need to bring people to where they need to be to meet Jesus. And that means we can't judge them. We can't berate them. We can't condemn them. We can't belittle them. Romans fifteen seven says, Accept one another, then... Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 
Do you know how many Bible verses there are that says love one another? At least 12 that I had seen. I know there were more, but 12. I didn't put them all in here because I didn't think y'all wanted me to just read the Bible to you. (laughs) But we didn't need to clean up and become a different person to come to Christ. He accepted us exactly where we were, right in the middle of our sin, and loved us into a right relationship with him so that we can become more Christ-like. We can only do that if and when we focus on Jesus. We have to continue to develop a right relationship with him, which means a deeper relationship. That doesn't mean just come on Sunday or Saturday, as our case is, and listen to us preach for prayerfully only 30 minutes or so. It means get into your Bible, dig into the word, fellowship with other people, Go to Bible studies. Get into a Bible study. It means do more than just come to church. Because we have to become more like Christ. We're never going to be Christ. But we're going to strive to be more like him. So that the world out there doesn't say, oh, those people at Sawgrass, they're just hypocrites. They just go to church on Saturday. But boy, they're not so nice the rest of the week. Beloved, we've got to be the hands and feet of Christ. And to do that, we've got to be the hands and feet of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Especially for those that don't know Jesus. People need love and acceptance a lot more than they need Advice or judgment. And this is coming from a counselor that gives advice all the time. They don't want my advice. They don't need my advice as much as they need Jesus. So I have to be a reflection of him. Every one of us needs to strive to reflect Jesus. When we do that, we're being more Christ-like. We're showing the example that Christ set for us. Love forgiveness, and acceptance. We do not have the right to judge, condemn, or tell other people to get the speck out of their eyes when we are walking around with planks in our eyes. Remember Matthew 7, 5? We just read it a minute ago. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, the next verse I want to read, I want you guys to say it with me. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now I want you to read 17 with me. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now, everybody knew John 3.16. How many of you memorized John 3.17? We all stop short. We say, John 3.16. But we need to go further. And we need to go further every single day of our lives. 
We need to know God's word. When we print it on our hearts, we can then say it for others. John 3.16 is a beautiful verse. But John 3.17 backs it up. We cannot think for one second that we are above Jesus and that we're able to beat up others, condemn them for their sins and failures when Jesus loved us right in the middle of our sins. You know, I feel like every time I preach, I say this, but I believe that it all boils down to it's a heart issue. And that's biblical, just so you know. Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's a heart issue. We have got to get our hearts right with God. When our hearts are aligned with God's word, our actions fall into place, and then we can be that light that shines in the darkness that others are living in. We must be the light. Beloved, let me remind you, the devil is a liar. He is stalking and lurking around. He is walking about, waiting, just waiting to stumble us and to pounce on those that are so close to accepting Christ. We must be grounded in God's word to be able to stand strong, and we must be the difference. We must be the light of love, acceptance, and forgiveness to those who need Jesus. Are you ready to be the difference? Get into God's word, and remember, through all of it, love wins.